0: I'm going to be quite honest with you guys. This is my first time ever preaching, so I know you guys will give me a lot of grace, right? Okay. So, Jordan's spot on. We're going to talk about peace tonight. And um, I want to start off before we jump into it. Before we jump into it, I want to start off by just having you turn to your neighbor. And I want you to tell your neighbor, I am a peacemaker. Okay. I will. Thank you. Remind me if I don't, because I may get nervous and put it down. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Nikki. I go with Johnny, who did the (laughs) announcements and the offering. And um, we've known the Verners for a long time. And Robin and Jordan have both been very impactful for me in my life. And so when, um, it's kind of a crazy story how I ended up up here. I was, Johnny and I were building a cabin in Cascade, and we were up there. I was just spending some quiet time with God and just asking him some things about who I am and if there's any place that I'm being disobedient to him. And he gave me three things, and one of them was, you're not preaching. I was like, what? Like, I do finance at Albertsons. Like, <laughs> I'm in the business world. I don't do the whole preaching thing. And so I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't know what that means, but I guess I'll just be on the lookout for that. Two days later, Jordan calls me at work and says, hey, Nikki, our plans fell through for the backup I was going to have for while we're in India, so would you preach? I was like, well, I can't say no now, right? <laughs> and then I'd totally be being disobedient. So I said, yes, and inside I was like, what am I doing? So here I am. And we'll just see how it goes. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to walk through a journey of peace, all right? So I'm going to go through kind of four steps with this. Peace, number one, with God. Peace within. And then how we share our peace, the peace that God's given us. So taking our peace to those that we're around in this body, in our homes, in our relationships, but then even beyond that, like into the nation and into the world. Okay, so we're just going to work our way through these steps, and I want to focus first on our peace with God. So I'm going to repeat a little bit of what Jordan said last week. I was astounded when he went through kind of how God restored peace with humanity because it was a lot of what I had written. So I was like, okay, good confirmation. Maybe I'm interpreting it correctly because it was very similar to what he said. So I'm going to touch on it for those of you that weren't here, but I won't go into too much depth. So if we think back to Adam and Eve in the garden, When Eve and Adam ate of the forbidden fruit, it totally changed the relationship that they had with God. God was walking in the garden with Adam and Eve prior. He was in close, intimate relationship with them. And then when they ate of the fruit, everything changed. All of a sudden, there was like this wall, this boundary. It was like perfect relationship was broken in that moment when their eyes were open to good and evil. And that relationship, the nature of that relationship breaking, was not at all what God intended for humanity. He intended all along for us to walk in that close, intimate, personal relationship with Him. But from that point when it changed, God knew He had a plan. He had a plan. He wasn't up there freaking out. He was a total peace knowing that eventually He would restore humanity in that relationship right back to what He intended. So when Satan got dominion over the earth, when we partnered with sin, the reason that it broke that relationship, I'm a visual learner, so I like to get visual images when I'm, when I'm talking to people because that's just how I think. So the way I picture this is when that break happened, it's kind of like if you think about the sun, and how hot it is. And if something is coming closer to the sun, right, it burns up because it can't handle the heat. Our impurities within us, our sin within us, when we partnered with sin, because God is so holy and so righteous, sin just can't exist in that close of proximity with him. It just can't. And so if we have impurities and sin within us, which we are all born of a sinful nature, so we all have that, if we were to get too close to God before Jesus then we would actually die. We couldn't be in his presence because the sin can't exist. The impurities can't exist. It's like when you're heating up or refining uh, metal, right? The impurities burn up and fall off. It's the same way. We can't be that close to him. And, And scripture even talks about this. When the high priest of the Israelites would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, they would tie a rope around his ankle because if anything wasn't right if anything was impure he wouldn't make it right they had to have a way to like get him out so that so nobody else had to go in and try to get him and they were in the same situation so we know that we have to have that level of purity to be in right personal intimate relationship with him okay so that's what then his plan is to send jesus it's his perfect son it's a piece of him right? To send his son down to be that point of reconciliation. And sometimes I ask myself, like, why? Why does he want that close, intimate relationship? What's so great in us, right? He created us, but still, isn't it kind of entertaining to just watch us run around and make all the crazy mistakes that we do? But it says in scripture, let me find it now. It says in scripture that God is Jealous. So in James 5 4, it says, God jealously longs for the spirit he has created to dwell within us. The spirit he has created to dwell within us. So we know when God created Adam, he breathed life into Adam, right? He gave Adam spirit, and that's what brought him to life. We know when we die, our spirit departs. We lose life, right? When our breath departs, our spirit departs. So it's like he put a little deposit of spirit, of himself in us. And that's how we exist. So he jealously longs for that spirit to be in close proximity with him, wholeness, togetherness with him. And where we get a little off track when it comes to peace, is we tend to, in the English language, we think about peace as in like the absence of war, the absence of strife. Everything's all serene and calm around us, right? That's when we're peaceful. But in reality, in in the Bible, the Greek word that's used often for peace is erene, which comes from the verb, ero, which has to do with joining together. It's taking something that's been broken and putting it apart. So if you think that we all have a little deposit of God's spirit inside of us when he gave us life, and he jealously longs for that spirit to be with him, then we can think about how peace would mean taking what was separated at the fall, right, broken, and peace would be restoring the togetherness, bringing what was broken back together, okay? So I want you to think about peace in those terms as we go through the rest of the sermon. So when, when Christ came and died on the cross, he actually restored that peace. So if you think about when, when it was broken, when the relationship was broken and the wall went up that then divided us, that's symbolized by the veil on the temple at the Holy of Holies. So inside the Holy of Holies was the presence of God, where the presence rested. And there was a veil that divided the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. Nobody else could enter that except for that one priest once a year. So the presence was contained, and only that perfectly pure person who's done all the right sacrifices, they hope, can go in that once a year. But when Christ died, that veil was torn from top to bottom. Not bottom to top, but when he died, that veil was torn top to bottom. So you can almost like picture him up there ripping it apart, right? So that he was free and we were free to enter his presence because now now when we accept the gift of salvation, when we accept the gift of reconciliation with God that Jesus offered, it's restored peace. That relationship that was broken is restored. And so Jesus, it's so cool when I think about the angels in Luke 2:14 when they're talking to the shepherds and they start singing Right? And it's glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to those whom his favor rests. So they're, they're declaring, they're declaring the birth of Jesus, but the way they're declaring it is peace is here. Now peace is here. He came to restore peace in that relationship between mankind and God. So it's it's fascinating to me the way even even back in Isaiah talks about how he will be the prince of peace, right? He gets to restore the peace. So then if we realize we have this peace, like what what do we do with this, right? How did we get it? Well, we know it's a gift. We just accepted it. We didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't strive for it. We didn't make ourselves look perfect to get it. He was perfect. Jesus was perfect. And it was in his death that then we have access to that relationship that God intended, that level of intimacy. And so when all we have to do is say yes, we all, I mean, if, you, if you've become a Christian, you know that day, and you know how messed up you were on that day, right? I mean, anybody else? I was messed. I was a kid, but I was a bawling blubbering mess when I was a kid because I'd done something wrong to my parents probably when I did it. So we were all in that moment when we said yes and we were flawed. And in that moment, all we had to do was accept a gift that was being offered. It was just a gift. We did nothing but say yes. We did nothing but take that gift. We said, all right, I will accept this. I will accept this peace. I will accept this new relationship. Does that mean that we have, like, the closest relationship ever with God in that moment? No, we're, we're baby. In this, we're going to learn how to walk. We're going to learn how to talk. We're gonna grow the more time that we spend with him. We get to grow into it, get to know him more as we spend more time with him, just like any other friend, any other member of our family. That's where we experience that growth. And in that growth, he transforms us. So I started off rotten, and I got a long journey from where I am today to where I wanna be, but he's done a lot in me and for me. Again, not through my own striving, but he does the work in me when I spend time with him And it's from the inside out. If I try to make the change for what I think the perfect Christian should look like, that's an outside in, right? That's not how it works. He works on the heart, which means we have to give our heart to him, and we get to do that by spending time with him. The more time we spend in the quiet place with him, the more we get to know his nature, and the more he informs us about things about ourselves. What's he working on with me today? And once I get that thing dealt with then go to the next thing right? Because I'm not there. I have a long way to go. But when we recognize that we're imperfect and yet he accepts us and wants us, he sees us through the blood of Christ so that all of those crimson stains on us, that's that sin that we've picked up, he doesn't see that because he's looking like I picked anybody been to Kona Grill at the village? Yes. You look at that wall of water right behind the hostess desk, right? This is how, again, word image, how I picture this is like, there's like a waterfall like that of blood, right? That's like Jesus's blood, kind of gory, but work with me. (laughs) If I was on the other side of that and I have crimson stains, the crimson stains don't really show, right? Because he's looking at me through this wall of Jesus's blood. All he sees is the pure part of me, right? So he can accept me into his presence. He can accept me and I won't die. And that jealously longing for me, I'm then responding to that call the way that he pursues me. And when I'm in his presence is when he does a work in me. I can't do it on my own. So when I recognize I'm flawed, which I am, and the only way that I get entrance into his presence is because of a gift that was given to me. Not anything I've done, but just a gift. Then I can start to think about the rest of the things going on in my life, if I've been given a gift of peace, if he is our peace, Jesus is our peace, and we have that peace inside of us, then what does that mean for our everyday living? So we know Jesus is the reconciler. He reconciled us to God. He reconciled mankind to God. So we've got peace with God, which gives us peace with our eternity, right? So we don't have to freak out about what happens to us after we die. Got that. That's settled. Good there. But I still have this life that I have to live, right? That I get to live. So how am I going to maintain peace in this life that I live when there's so much going on around me that wants to steal that peace that I have, right? Maybe it's a sickness that I'm dealing with. I have rheumatoid arthritis. I'm in pain almost every day. Some, Some little... Some a lot. Every day is different, right? But I get to choose, am I going to let that steal my peace? Does physical pain steal my peace? Does a fear of what the future might hold, what's it going to steal from me in the future? Is that going to steal my peace? It may, be, it may be relationships. It may be financial difficulties. We all have them, right? I'm sure we can just sit and think. We can all come up with three things in our life that kind of stress us out right now. So if we think about those three things and think about how we let it affect or own our peace, which was a gift that was given to us, it's a gift that we get to hold on to, we get to cling to, and we can give it away and choose to partner with stress, fear, anger, offense, or we can choose to hold on to it. So let me give you a couple examples Um, Jesus in 1427 said peace I leave with you my peace I give you not as the world gives do I give let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid so he's saying let your hearts don't let your hearts be troubled not don't let your circumstances be troubled but don't let your hearts be troubled so if you think about the example that he set for us when he was in the storm in the boat. And here he is, like, super crazy storm. The disciples are afraid that the boat's gonna, like, capsize and they're all gonna die, right? He, he, he's, he's so amazing. So in Matthew 8, 24 through 27, it says, Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. So part of me, like, I'm a super, like, logical person. I think, well, that was Jesus, right? I mean, he knows he's there for a purpose. He can just say, all right, cool it, and the waves stop, and the wind stop. We don't get that, Right? We can't just tell the wind to stop, tell the waves to stop, and everything quiet down around us. So we can't control our circumstances, maybe the way that he did in that moment, but we can play a big part in our internal circumstances to let not our hearts be troubled. So I'll give you a personal example. When Johnny and I, let's see, when was it, 2010, 2009, um, we both worked for Albertsons in the finance department. <clears throat> And we're going through a number of merger, acquisition, consolidation stuff and they wanted to downsize the finance team and what was left of it, they wanted to move to Minnesota because that's where, at the time, SuperValue owned the company and that's where their corporate headquarters were. So, I got a call saying that, hey, we want to offer you this job in Minnesota, we're going to lay off the team, but we want you and your husband will get a call in a few minutes too, we want you to move out to Minnesota. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. So I was waiting for Johnny to get the call. And as soon as he did, we went out to coffee. We just left work. We're like, hey, we got to think through this. And as soon as we sat down to coffee, he's like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I don't want to go. He said, me neither. And I was like, we knew in that moment, okay, we're not going. Well, we had two kids. One was an infant and one was almost two when we found this out. And my biggest fear when we first got married we considered both working for the same company that I ended up working with called Navistar. We had talked about both working for them because we had both done internships for them. I was like, no, 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 because we need to to diversify. I don't want both of our incomes in the same company basket. What if they do layoffs and we both get laid off? Like, I'm all about being financially secure. I'm a finance person, right? I got to make good financial decisions. So here we are (laughs) at this coffee shop. We're like, no, we're not going to go which means we're going to get laid off, we're going to have no income, we have two little kids and a mortgage, and for some reason, this peace just came over us to where we just knew it was going to be okay. And it was absolutely a supernatural peace. We knew what we were supposed to do in that moment, and we said, okay, and I can't say I ever really worried about it. From that point on, we got laid off. I was off probably for six months. Johnny decided to become a counselor and went to school. He didn't get a job either. So somehow, it all worked out. It was only God. He provided, and he made it work. And I never got stressed out. There were times when I was paying the bills, and I was like, this math doesn't work. <laughs> I'm forecasting out you know, a couple months, and I'm like, this is not working. But somehow, it just kept working, right? And it was just a God thing. It wasn't, it wasn't us. It was amazing, but we had peace through that time. But then there's a flip side to this. Sometimes it's easy, and it just falls on you, and you just have it. And then there's times where it's not, right? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's a choice. So I had another situation um, a couple years ago where I had a little cancer scare where I had to go have a biopsy, and then they were talking about how, I don't even remember the name of it, what cancer it was at the time, but <clears throat> during that series of events from appointment to appointment to appointment, it was around Christmas time, and I remember sitting up the Christmas tree, and like every few minutes, there would be like this little bit of like what if that would pop into my head, like what, what if this is the bad road that I don't want to go down, right? What, what if? What would my kids do? And it was amazing, every time that thought started to come into my head there would be this opposing thought of it's going to be okay. And so this thought would come in, what if, blah, 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 and before the sentence could even get finished. Like, no, trust me, it's going to be okay. And I had a choice in that moment because it kept happening over and over and over again. And every time I had a choice, which voice am I going to believe right now? Which voice am I going to give power to? Which voice am I going to partner with? And I had to make that choice. And here I am setting up the Christmas tree, sitting in my living room floor, like, well, if I go down this road, the, the path I don't want to go on, but I let my mind play out where this could go, then this is going to steal my holiday, setting up my Christmas tree time, right? Because I'm going to be focused on that. I'm going to be freaking out. So I'm going to be grumpy with my kids because I'm all stressed out, kind of ruin their holidays. Not fair to them. And I'm not going to sleep well. So all of these things where it gets to steal my time and be a distraction for me, or I get to choose to partner with it, it's going to be okay. I get to trust that voice that I'm hearing so it doesn't get to distract me and steal my joy, steal my peace, steal my holiday time with my kids. Now, bless God, he let me go through that with good outcomes. It ended up just being swollen nodes from my rheumatoid arthritis. So I ended up, it was good news. It was great, right? And looking back, I was so thankful that there was that competing voice coming in my ear so that I didn't just miss out and spend three, four, five weeks focused on the worst of possible outcomes. But it was a choice, and it was hard, and every day I had to make that choice again. And then it would leave my mind for a while, and then I'd be sitting and it'd be quiet, and it'd come back again, and I had to make a choice right so we get to make those choices that gift that we've been given this gift of peace peace with god but peace within ourselves we get to cling to we get to choose we get to hold on to or we don't we can put it down and choose to focus on those other things that are coming in our minds consistently and they're relentless i don't i don't want to minimize it it's relentless i can tell you i struggle daily with things with my kids I don't know if you guys, moms out here, you've heard this statement. Having kids is like your heart coming out of your body and running around, right? I'm like paranoid mother. My kids will tell me I'm paranoid mother. My friends, they know. They're just, they don't tell me. They're too kind. But they all know. I am so anal about my kids, like watching them and what they're doing and if they're getting in trouble, and it's all fear-based. It's all fear-based. And I ran into a challenge this summer. I had to send my 9-year-old boy off to camp. First time he was ever going by himself. I'm like, okay, well God, I can't be there to watch him. There is nothing I can do. So it is all you. And I know know you can take better care of him than I can, but I'm gonna have to really trust you to do that. So I have to know, I have to let myself partner with the peace that you have him, and that I trust you, and that your promises are real, and it's not easy. And there were some days I still broke down crying, like, oh, no, what if he's sad or what if he's lonely or what if he's whatever, right? But then, like, only I get to turn that around. Only I get to pray and let him transform my heart and recognize the peace that he's given me and choose to pick it up. So there are real, real challenges that come in life that are serious, that are scary, that are hard, and it is not easy to make those choices and sometimes God just gives us the gift. He just pours it on us, and we can't do anything but be peaceful. And he gives us that, that peace that passes all understanding. And sometimes we have to choose because he's, he's teaching us something through that. He's teaching us to trust him, and we have to make those choices, right? right? But we get to do it. And every time we do, them, every time we do it, that, like, trust muscle, I choose to trust, gets stronger and stronger. And when he doesn't let us down, it's getting stronger and stronger. And then he can trust us with even more crazy things because he knows that we'll trust him. That we'll even go out on a limb and do the crazy thing without the fear, without the anxiety. And there may be fear, but we'll do it anyway, like like preach, right? Because we trust him. Because he's proven himself to us, but we've got to put ourselves in that position, right? And we get to maintain that peace, which, again, is not everything's calm all around me. It's all good and serene, and there's a cute little brook going by, and I'm so peaceful, right? It's despite the circumstances. It's in the waves. It's in the wind. It's in the storm. And yet that peace we get to hold on to and claim because it's internal. Remember, Jesus changes us internal, internally, that then shows itself externally. We can't will ourselves to it, right? So when we choose to stay focused on what he's doing, we choose to partner with him and trust him. You know, if, if, if we get anxious about something, that doesn't disqualify us. It's not that he can't, that he won't use us if we struggle with anxiety or if, we, if we're choosing to freak out about something. <clears throat> it's not that at all, because we all go through it and I struggle with it daily. It's not that he can't use us, it doesn't disqualify us, what it does is When we're focused on those things, we're self-focused. We're focused on self and what could happen or what might happen or what so-and-so might be thinking because I did that stupid thing. So we're focused on ourself, which means that we're looking internally and we're not focused on what he's doing. So he can put an opportunity right in front of us of something really cool, right? Something we can partner with him to bless somebody, to pray for somebody, to encourage somebody. He may just be working a miracle right in front of our eyes, But when our mind is so focused and so spinning on this thing that's stressing us out, that's got us upset, that's got us offended, we're so focused on that that we totally miss this opportunity that he's presented to us. So it's not a condemning thing. It's it's not something we need to feel guilty about if we do that. I'm just saying there's an opportunity right? And we want all the opportunity that God gives us to grow and to watch what he's doing, because it's so fun. Isn't it so fun to see the miracles? I can't, I'm going to miss next week, and I'm so bummed, because it's going to be so cool to hear the miracles that are going on. But again, we have to be in tune, right? If I come next week, and I'm sitting here, I'm freaking out about what just happened two hours ago, and I'm so focused on that, I'm not paying attention to what God is doing. So that's the opportunity to choose peace so that I can stay focused on him and see what he's doing, Right, and he's gonna take me on a journey and an adventure. So that's peace within ourselves. We get to choose that, and we have to claim that, and we have to stand firm on that. But that's not it. So we've got peace with him now. We're reconciled. We know how to be whole, right? There's this wholeness, things that are broken and distracted and fractured when we have peace, it's coming back together. It's that peace and confidence, in who we are, in where we are, and that God's got this. I don't have to control it I try to keep everything in balance because he's got it, and I trust him, and I can't be all things to all people and try to keep everybody happy all the time. So I'm not a peacekeeper, right, because I can't placate everybody and make sure everybody's pleased, but I can control my own internal peace gauge because I can choose to focus on the right things. You see the difference? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if I take that wisdom then, and I'm obedient to Philippians 4, 6, where it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heights, your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So it's a battlefield in there. It is a battlefield in there, and he will guard us, but we play a role. We get to choose to focus on him or focus on that other voice that would love nothing more than to completely distract us and get us all upset and not focus on what God's doing. So now if we take that and we push it out and we think about peace in our relationships, but those are tricky. In our marriages, in our friendships, in other people in church, right? We are surrounded by flawed people, and we're one too. I'm one. So when we are surrounded by that, we can't help but experience brokenness, even in the church. And when it happens in the church, it hurts, doesn't it? Because you you think people are better than that for some reason. When they know God, they should have a clue, right? But it still happens. It still happens. So Jesus wants us to live in peace, not just with the Father, not just in ourselves, but also with those we're surrounded with, right? Love your neighbor. We need to be peaceful with our neighbor. And so in Matthews 5, 9, so Jesus is going through a list of the Beatitudes. And one of them says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So, like, I, was the, I always thought that was kind of a downer. Because, like, the other ones are like, blessed are the meek. And it always refers to, like, something bad, something good, something bad, something good. Like, they will inherit the kingdom or something. Like, sounds really awesome. And then it's blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Well, I always thought, well, I got saved, so I'm a child. I am, right? I'm a child of God? Like, what, what, why do I have to be a peacemaker? What's the difference? Or am I just at peace because I got saved, so I'm automatically a child of God? Like, how does that work? So I looked up, what is a peacemaker? <clears throat> and it's one who makes peace, especially by reconciling parties at variance. I'm like, okay, so if Jesus is our peace, and the relationship God intended got broken, and he's our peace, and it put it back together, so it's like this wholeness of putting back together things that have been ripped apart, then I guess that kind of makes sense. Or so a person who helps prevent or stop an argument, a fight or a war, or a person, group, or nation that tries to make peace, especially by reconciling parties who disagree. So, so now it seems like bigger than me, and I'm trying to like, why, why does that matter? to be a child of God. Why do we need to worry about other people quarreling to be a child of God? Like, is that a prerequisite? Like, if I don't make somebody feel better or I don't go mend a relationship that I'm not a child? I, I don't think it's that. As, as I've researched it, my understanding is, if you think back to um, the time of the disciples, if you had, like, a silversmith, right, a guy who's really great at being a silversmith, and at that time, the businesses we kind of go from generation to generation, right? So if you saw a young guy who's an awesome silversmith and you saw some of the techniques of the father, then you say, ah, that must be Joe's son, right? He's so good at that technique with the silversmith. I bet that's Joe's son. So when you see something in the son, they're reflected back the father. It's like they kind of picked up that skill, right? And so it represented the father. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be the children of God. So I think what he's saying is, we all have a role to be a peacemaker, and when we're being peacemakers, we're reflecting him, because that's what he is, because he called us unto him, even when we were persecuting him, and we were sinning, and we didn't even want him, and he still called us unto him. So he took people that were totally, totally working against him, and said, I want you back and create took that step of peacemaking. And it's when we do that that people are saying, oh, I know who that is. That's what God's famous for. They're a child of God. So we get to be a peacemaker. And that also, again, not easy. Not easy. I had a time <clears throat> a couple of years ago, Johnny and I were doing this ministry thing, and <clears throat> there was, um, there was a couple people who had had some concerns with some things associated with that ministry. And they didn't voice it directly to us, but to someone else, but we found out about it. <clears throat> and so we were doing this, this weekend event, and there were all these different stations and sessions and all this kind of stuff. And when, when those, some of those people had come in to experience this cool ministry thing that, that we had, that God used us to do, which was with a whole group of people, it was so fun. When they were in the room, I was so aware, like I had this heightened awareness of where they were, wondered what they were thinking, looked at what station they were doing, and then as they were leaving, I was trying to figure out, oh no, did they get offended? Was there anything that they were concerned about that they experienced then in this weekend, right? So my total brain power was focused on them, and the whole point of the event was prayer and blessing people. And during that point in time, I was not in my role because I was distracted. Because relationship was not at peace. So what did I miss out on? The person I was even talking to, I was only halfway in the conversation. It's like, you're listening, like... <laughs> like not even like really listening or paying attention, right? They don't have my attention. God doesn't have my attention. There could have been somebody I needed to pray for or encourage, and I was oblivious because I was so aware of where these other people were. Anybody ever been there with a relationship? Yeah, yeah. So in those moments, again, it's not a condemning thing. It's that what am I missing out on when I allow myself to put down the peace that I get to carry, the peacemaking responsibility that I have in relationship with other people? What am I missing out on when I allow that to get my attention? When I get anxious when I'm in that person's presence. When I get anxious when I see that person's picture on Facebook. Right? What am, I, what am I allowing to happen to myself? Not, what should I feel guilty for? But what am I missing out on? Because I'm choosing to focus and emphasize that. So we have a responsibility to be a peacemaker. And it's not just for our good, but it's for the body as a whole. The body as a whole. So I can't I don't fully understand this. I'm just human. I'll, when I, it's one of those things that my kids ask me questions all the time. I'm like, I don't know. We'll have to ask God when we get there. This is one of those things. But somehow, as I look at history and my own experiences, it feels like the spirit moves when there's unity. It just seems like it kind of opens things up, like sensitivity to the spirit or something. I don't, I don't know how to really even put a picture around that one, although I've tried. Somehow, the spirit moves freely in unity when we're in good, solid community with each other. And somehow, when there's not, it kind of gets clogged up or something. I I can't explain it, but it's like a blockage. Like, I kind of wonder if that little bit of God that lives within each of us, that spirit he breathed into us, if when we're in unity, it it moves freely between us. And when there's a wall, we put a wall up or we distance ourselves or we have to keep that separation that it says, no, you don't have permission to move here. Because we didn't choose being connected. We didn't choose connectedness with that person. We chose, no, no thanks, I'm gonna protect myself because I have fear or I have anger and I may be totally justified. But because I'm gonna choose that wall of protection, somehow it prevents the spirit moving freely there. I don't get it, I don't. It's one of those I'll ask him when I get there. But I think we have a responsibility to the body, If we're going to be part of a family or part of a body that values healthy family, then we have a responsibility, right, to be a peacemaker. We don't want to be clogging that up, right? Because it doesn't just affect me. Then it affects the other person. And this is super important to God. It is so important that in Matthew 5.23, he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your offering there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to him and then come back and get your gift. Holy cow. (laughs) Talk about embarrassing. Let me go to the altar and I'm gonna, just kidding, Let let me go make it right. And then I'll come back for him to say, I would rather you not praise and worship me right now. I would rather you go make things right And then you can come back, I'll be waiting. He cares about this. This isn't like, I'll put that relationship off to the back burner and I'll deal with that one later. Right? That one's a little too complex. I'm just not ready, feeling right about that one. I'll come back to that later. No. We can't give freely to him and be in that place in relationship with him when we have this distraction going on. Either for us or for that other person. Right? So we got to think about like the collective, the whole body. And we have a responsibility to take that step of action. So a lot of times that's really hard to do. It's not easy. A lot of times it involves a critical conversation, a tough conversation. Maybe we've tried it. Maybe we've tried to make peace many times and it just doesn't happen. The other person's just not up for it. Like how often do we have to keep going back and going back and taking that step of being a peacemaker well in the Bible Jesus mentioned when he was asked how many times you have to forgive Peter said you have to forgive seven times and she said no 70 times 7 so I don't know that any of us have made the effort of 70 times 7 maybe I doubt it but even if you have you know there's only so much we can control in a relationship if we try in good faith and God knows we've tried then maybe the other person just isn't ready and it's just not gonna happen there but we can be at peace knowing that we've done what God wants us to do, that we have made that effort. But what if later that other person gets a change of heart? I think you, got, you got to kind of open it back up, right? Right? you got to be willing. So what God says <clears throat> in the Bible about peacemaking, let me find it now. So in Ephesians 4, 2 through 3, it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Like eager. That's not a word I use very often. But it sounds like like ready to go. Like eager. Right? As soon as I get the chance, I'm going to go ahead and make peace. And I have to use discernment. So making peace in a relationship means I'm getting it to the point that when that person walks in the room, it's not like all attention on that person, even though I'm pretending like I'm giving them no attention whatsoever, but I'm aware. That's the piece I'm talking about. It doesn't mean that what that relationship looked like, maybe before things broke down, doesn't mean it's going to look the same. Because we have to use wisdom and discernment, and God brings people in and out of our lives over time, and sometimes certain relationships aren't healthy, or sometimes they're not safe for us to be that close to somebody, right? So we have to use discernment in our relationships, and we don't need to restore something that we know wasn't working. It doesn't have to look the same, but we should be able to get it to look like it's just a friendly acquaintance. It's, hi, how you doing? Right? We should be able to be in the same room and focus on what we really should be focused on and not on that person's presence. We should be able to focus on his presence and get in tune and not be distracted by that person. And we don't have to be besties anymore. They don't have to know all my deepest darkest secrets. We don't have to hang out 24 seven. But we should be able to coexist peacefully. Every follow? Yeah. So, if we are eager to be a peacemaker, then we have to continually be taking those steps. If something is starting to not feel at peace, we got to keep our accounts short, and we got to go address it, because the more we let it build, the worse it gets. And then it's even harder to have those conversations later. Right? And we go in love, and we go in peace, and we go in truth, and we go as a peacemaker, carrying this gift of peace that we have and offering to share that peace with the other person. So living in relationship is key, and I would say that extends beyond our families, and the people that we go to church with every day, but even between churches in the body of Christ, right? It's so easy to get offended or to judge people, and even in work, in a different work group, we can feel like, oh, they just don't do their job well, and it makes our job difficult, right? Other groups of people, we get to choose to be that peacemaker, which is all in the perspective in which we look at those other people They're just people that God loves that maybe don't have some of the same knowledge or understanding or maybe they see things differently than we do, but we still get to walk into that being a peacemaker. When we do that, that doesn't mean we're saying, I'm wrong and you're right and I'll just be like you, right? That's not what peacemaking is. We're not giving in. We're not saying that I will now change my values to be more like yours to be a peacemaker. No, it's I am so secure and content in who I am. And I can value you and who you are with your understanding and your perspectives. And I can build a bridge to love you. And I have this really cool piece that I've been given, that I walk around with. And so therefore, I walk around carrying that piece. In Ephesians 6, when God's talking about, um, Paul's talking about the armor of God in Ephesus. And he talks about the shoes of peace that will be shod with the readiness. Again, it's that sense of like, being ready to go, being eager, being active at being a peacemaker. Whenever the opportunity presents itself, we've got those shoes on, we're ready, we're ready to go after it as soon as, as soon as it's the right moment, as soon as it's available. We get to carry this sense of peace that we have internally, and when we walk into a situation that's all anxious, and we come in, complete peace, people feel that. People feel that. I know when I do the opposite. When I come home from work and I'm all like all anxious because I have so many things to do and I walk in the house, my kid's stress level will rise. I'll bring in stress from work. Congratulations. You get to join me in my stressed out nature. Right? So they, I see it the other way. But then it works. sometimes people are freaking out about some latest news from something or other and how we're going to get this done. And they'll pull me in. I'm like, okay, well, let's just think about it. We'll do this and we'll do this and we can get to this. I'm like, how are you so calm? Right? But it affects the atmosphere when you walk in with that peace, that you're at peace. You know that everything is going to be okay. It may not be the best. I have a little bit of fear that the way of life that I value might be getting changed by something over here. But I know that in the end, God's got it, and God's got me, and God's got my family, and he's got all my friends. And whatever it looks like, whatever that storm and waves and wind, whatever it is, I choose... My peace. And when I go into a situation like that, I affect the people around me. And the temperature or the peace or the anxiety can go up or it can go down. And I get to affect that. And we have a calling, a mandate to be peacekeepers because we are children of God. So if we are children of God, then we better live out this whole peacemaking thing, right? We're supposed to walk around. Jesus was a model of what it was like to show God's nature and God's heart. And we are supposed to look at him as that model and that example. And we get to allow him to transform us over time into his likeness. So again, we can walk around like that model. We get to carry that peace. we get to model that peace for others to look around and say, why, why are you so calm? What's going on with you? How do you do that? And then there's an opportunity, right? That opens the door, that question. That's when we can then share what gives us that peace because there's something so attractive in it. And we take it even beyond our personal relationships. Look at the nation right now. There is very little peace out there. Most people are angry because they're scared in one way or the other. I'm not talking about any specific side of the aisle but in general, people are scared that their way of life that they value, that they feel comfortable in, what their convictions seem to be in one way or the other is feeling threatened. And in that we feel like we got to put a wall up to protect. So there's walls going up all over and then out of protection there's gunshots and arrows going out from behind the walls at each other. Right? It's like toxic. It's the opposite of what we're called to be. So we can't do that same reaction just for our side of values, right? That's not what God intended. We get to carry that peace, that gift into whatever situation we're going into, whatever the beliefs are of that group of people. It doesn't mean we have to change our beliefs, right? But we get to carry a peace. And in carrying that peace and that joy, the people who don't know Jesus probably aren't experiencing right now. There's not a lot of it out there. We stand out, we look different, and it's attractive. It's not something like, I don't want to hear about it, don't tell me about Jesus, right? Because there's this connotation right now of this judgment or this, this disunity, and we don't exactly always show the great example of what Jesus is, where he's walking up to the lepers and touching them. Or he's going up to the prostitute, and he's the first one to saying that, First one was sin can stone her, and nobody could, right? He could, and he didn't. That's the model. That's the model we get to carry. Do you think he gave her some peace in that moment when he helped that prostitute up who was about to get stoned? So we get to carry that gift, and it doesn't mean that we're giving in. It doesn't mean we're changing our beliefs, and we need to use wisdom in where we go. If we're going into a place we know we're going to be tempted, that's probably not the right place for us, Right? But God calls us in the areas that are uncomfortable, and if we're going to shine His light in the world, we got to take that light into the dark places—those places where He calls us. And when we go in, we don't need to go in with a megaphone, right? But we need to go in with that gift of peace that He's given us. So there's a couple of times in the Bible, and I didn't write them down, where I was seeing, <clears throat> "Blessed are the feet." of those who come in and say that there's peace, right? Kind of the end of war, somebody runs into a village and it's saying, blessed are the feet. A Couple times it's referring to that. And there is something about when you're in an anxious environment, when you feel hopeless, when you feel anxious and somebody comes in declaring peace or with their peace, brings their peace in, blessed are those people. You're so glad to see them, right? You're so glad to hear. And you just want to know, what, what's the message they have for me? That they're coming in with that peace. What is it they have to tell me? And if we can go into situations carrying that peace, carrying that gift, that's when that message is going to be desired. Instead of like, no, I don't hear it, right? It's about what do we carry into it? Do they want what we have, or are we giving off something that's like, no thanks? So I'm going <clears> to... <throat> One more thing I just want to read to you here. So Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace. Again, Jesus is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its command and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now at the time, this was Paul stating this, and Paul was the first one told to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles, right? Because before... It was just for Israel, right? The disciples were in Israel and they were preaching, trying to convert Jewish people. And then God told Paul to go out to the Gentiles, so he's saying the two becomes one. They both have access, right? And it used to be an us versus them. It was an us and them. And the Gentiles were scary. They were dirty. They sinned a lot. They were not anointed. Like, if you touched one, you were then impure. It was out, like, I need to stay away there. And that was part of the law. That was legit, but with Jesus, it was a whole different nature. And so with Paul, God said, the two now become one. I'm here for all of you. Go out and do that. And I think sometimes it's really easy for us, especially if there's something we're not comfortable with, to create an us versus them. We're in here, they're out there, right? We Christians, them non-Christians. It's an us and a them. And as long as we have an us and a them, we like to try to make it that we're better they're worse, we're better, right? It's just more comforting when I'm I'm on the right side. If I'm, this is my church and that's their church, but we know the real gospel or we have the right theology, they don't. It's just comfortable to feel like you've got it right, that you're in with the right right group, right? I wonder what would happen. I wonder if we kind of took the us and them out of our vocabulary, like just took it out, keep our roots growing deep so we are firm in understanding our beliefs, and determine, discern who we allow to influence us versus who we influence, right? That has to be an intentional decision. But what if the us versus them kind of got removed? And what if it was all we? We are one nation under God. What if? What if we saw things a little differently? We are all the body of Christ who have chosen Jesus as the way, the truth, and the light. What if we're all one body of Christ? We all have different purposes. We all have different roles, right? The toe is different than the thumb, right? We always talk about it in our own church with the spiritual gifts, but just within our own. What if, that, what if we thought about that on a bigger scale? What if? What would happen? What would happen if instead of us versus them, we thought about we? There's some we who have been blessed to say yes to the gift. Some of us we. And some of the we don't know they need it yet. But what if we came in with that piece, and we showed them that piece, and they were so attracted to what we carry, that they said, I want to know where you got that. They just don't know they want it yet. What if we looked at the world in here and out there like a we? What if we took that peacemaking responsibility that we have really seriously? And I bet some people here are called to take that into tricky places. So I'm going to ask the worship team and the prayer team to go ahead and come up. And um, during the music and after, I want to challenge you. If you, number one, if you don't know the peace that comes from relationship with Jesus Christ, this is your chance to come forward. And if you're new to this and your heart's pounding, that's probably the sign. He's, He's tapping you. Saying it's time. But also, If you struggle with anxiety or there's an area of your life that you're just not at peace with, if there's a relationship in your life that is not peaceful and you know and you want to get some prayer for boldness to step forward in reconciliation there or if you know you've got a calling to be that peacemaker out in the world, come forward and we want to pray a blessing over you. So you've got the prayer team up here or I will pray as well. So I just want to encourage you to act on that motivation or that that feeling that you may be having right now.